Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast, where every week we bring you conversations from Georgia's leading music educator. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. I'm excited to meet and speak with one of our newest board members, Vicente Della Tonia, today. I met him a few weeks ago during our executive board meeting and thought to myself, that is definitely someone I'd love to meet and learn about. So without further delay, hello, Vicente. Hi, baby. Thank you so much for having me today. Sure. Let's just get started with a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. All right. Uh, this is my sixth year. I'm starting at Georgia State University. I teach full time at the Perimeter College. I'm a piano professor and assistant coordinator of keyboard studies. As part of my duties, I teach applied piano. I teach also group piano and music appreciation. Prior to Georgia State, I was in South Carolina for seven years. I finished my doctorate over there. And I also worked for an entire time. I held some positions at South Carolina Community Music School for a while. Then at Allen University, I stayed there for four years, and briefly at Claflin University. And then prior to that, I taught briefly at Georgia State uh, for two years, doing my master's, and before that in Brazil. I taught in Brazil for about 10 years before coming to the United States. And how did you get started in music? What is the beginning of your musical journey? Basically, I did not have anyone in the family that played an instrument or was a musician. And one day I just had this picture in my mind of myself as a child playing a grand piano on a stage. And I didn't know that that was a grand piano. So one day watching movies late night, my family didn't know that I had that habit, usually over the weekends. I browse into different channels and I see an orchestra and the piano was being featured. And I was like, that's what I've been envisioning. So as soon as I heard the sound of the piano, that really uh, sealed the deal for me. And when I was seven years old, my mom asked, what do you want for your birthday? And I was like, piano lessons. My mom was so surprised, but she enrolled me in lessons. And I lived very close to the conservatory so I started uh, from grade one all the way to high school and went through all the training in the conservatory. And after I finished the studies at the conservatory, I went to the university, did my bachelor's degree in Brazil, and then ended up coming to the United States to do my master's and stayed for the doctorate and the rest is history. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the conservatory system in Brazil. I think you're the first Brazilian pianist we've talked to on this podcast. So I'm really excited to hear about your childhood experience and maybe a little bit of reflection, if you can. How is it different from the American system? Basically, the conservatory, you can start anytime. There is not like some country's age limit, basically. I started seven years, so first grade, and went through pretty much straight up to high school. Now, in Brazil, back then, you should be the three years of high school, you do exams to enter to the conservatory. And as part of your exam, you have to also exempt from theory, oral skills, and the piano itself. Part of the studies during the conservatory, we went through 
chamber music, ear training again, form and analysis. It was a very uh, wonderful, complete curriculum. And the, the, the good thing about it is usually in the afternoons. If you go, you go to school in the morning and then in the afternoon, you go to the conservatory. And that's very different system in that sense. United States, I think, did not have, when I moved here, for the early ages. So if you're at the conservatory from grades one through eight, nine, you still have to do exams every semester and you have to, you have like the theory curriculum that you also have to go twice a week and or skills and all of that. Mm. Okay, so it sounds like it's a very structured system. Is the system universal throughout the whole country or is it only at the school that you grew up in? There, there were back then a lot, lots of conservatories. And when you finish, you complete high school, basically you get a diploma. So it was. However, Brazil had a lot of public schools and also little community music schools. And they were on a different system, basically. But yes, conservatories were regulated by the state usually, and they had to follow a certain curriculum for sure. Yeah, I wonder if in that system, if most musicians come out of the conservatory system and is it possible for someone who grows up in the conservatory system to decide not to do music or someone who grows up outside of the conservatory system to now enter into music as a profession? Yes, to both. I had lots of colleagues that were fabulous pianists that actually did not continue music at all. And also happened people that just took private lessons that end up going to the university. So it's, when you go to a bachelor's degree, it's not a requirement that you go through the conservatory first. Okay, great. So it sounds like the system is quite flexible in that way. Yes. Yeah. Now, do you have a favorite memory of your teachers that you can share with us? I would say yes. I have very, very fond memories of all of them. I do remember my undergrad studies teacher. She was very intense. She was Cuban and studied in Russia. So she had this intensity, but yet like a big mom to all of us. And funny thing is she never complimented us, no matter how well you played or, well, if you played badly, you will do here for sure. But I remember once my very first compliment, I played for the first exam, Chopin Etude Obstet number one, and I was scared to death. And at the end, she came and said, that was so beautiful. What changed? Something changed in your core that you played so differently. And I don't know. I, I remember that scene because it was not common for her to compliment us, you know? Fun fact, that was one of the moments that I decided, you know what, maybe I can do this for a living. Hmm. What was your answer to her when she asked you what changed? What what caused you to play so different that she, it would prompt that remark from her? So basically, I told her I was just following the artistry. I was trying to tell a story with this attitude rather than thinking about the technical aspect. She was like, finally. <laughs> That's great. Now, do you remember what piece from your musical studies as a child got you hooked on music? 
Yes, uh, Chopin Nocturne, Opus 55, number one. I remember uh, learning it and I didn't know as, as a child. And I remember very clear my teacher teaching me about legato touch, pedaling, the sound, the, the, the expression, the mood, the character. And it was for some reason the very first piece that I really understood what she meant about atmosphere and all of those details. And after that, I remember I went through a period where I wanted to play all Chopin nocturnes. Yeah, yeah. Love those nocturnes. So beautiful. He has such a way with harmony and melody. So uh, your beginning of your musical journey is so interesting because you talk about this dream and almost like a supernatural inspiration dawns on you. So I'm curious, what was practicing like for you as a child? Did your parents ever have to force you to do it or did that inspiration just kind of carry you all the way through? I was self-motivated all the way and still am, I would say. I decided to start lessons and... My mom was also put my sister to start lessons. So we started together. Although she started in guitar and she only lasted for a year, I kept going throughout. And I remember I was always interested in repertoire. I would listen to my much older friends practicing sonatas and preludes and fugues. And I wanted to play those, even though I was just like beginning. So I remember practicing so hard, whatever my teacher would give to me and trying to go beyond that. I never had a piano growing up. And I think that also helped because I had to be very uh, organized and dedicated with my hours because I would have to go to the conservatory to practice up until high school. And then high school, I was very lucky that I was able to go over the weekends because my teacher was like, you know what? Here are the keys. You can come in the weekends. Yeah, what was the expectation for practicing like at the conservatory there? It was very flexible, I'd say. And one thing that I loved was that each each of us had different expectations with music. And our teacher always worked uh, with our expectations, our, our goals. I would say it was very flexible. Now... Why are you a musician and a teacher? Was there someone who was particularly influential in guiding you to this path? That's a tough question. And I would say all my my teachers, really, they all contributed somehow, especially for me becoming a musician. It would not be fair for me to just say one, you know. But as far as teaching, I would have to say my high school and bachelor's degree teacher because she came from that uh, Russian school of playing and she taught me how to teach basically from ground zero. And I remember we did have lots of pedagogy courses with her, even at the conservatory and then later at the university. And I was just fascinated. How, how do you start from ground zero? How do you develop arm weight? How do you develop the hand shape? All of those elements of first year of studies and she was uh, she took me her under her wings basically and definitely taught me all the way along and i remember bringing to her some of my students to make sure i would do checkups am i in the right direction uh, is this the correct repertoire how do i take to the next grade and so forth so i was very blessed and 
I would definitely credit her to inspire me to investigate pedagogy, always research and find repertoire, leveling and all of that. Yeah. So do you still teach and work with beginners at this point right now? Or are you only working with collegiate level students? I did when I was in South Carolina quite a lot. When I moved to Georgia, I was only teaching uh, university students. But now I just started uh, this summer teaching some high school students. Currently, I don't have any beginners, but I love it. I love it as much as uh, the collegiate. And I don't have a problem working with beginners versus advanced students, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, I'm going to insert a, an extra question in here, and it's so you talked about your your high school and your undergraduate teacher, and then you you know obviously you're in America, you're in Georgia. Why did you come to America to get a master's degree and study here? Why not stay in Brazil? I have to credit Dr. Sergio Gallo from the Atlanta campus, Georgia State. I saw a concert that he performed in my hometown, and I was in love with his playing. And my teacher became friends with him, and they created a festival. It used to call, uh, be called Baru Atlanta Piano Competition and Festival, and they had voice, they had also piano. So he would come to my university, I was in my undergrad studies still, and give master class. And I remember playing for him and I we just connected and I loved his artistry and I really wanted to study with him. And this is my second year of undergrad. He kept like, you know, think about applying, think about coming to the United States. He definitely encouraged me. So when time came, I applied to Georgia State, uh, got the assistantship, and that's how I ended up coming to the United States. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I work with some international students here, and I know that language is frequently a barrier. Did you learn your English already in Brazil, or did you learn it here in America? Uh, baby, the English we learn in Brazil is not enough. And I'm sorry, but I have to compare to the Spanish we learn here in the United States in the public schools. It's not enough for you to care conversation and be understood. So I studied for the TOEFL test, got the, the, the score that I needed. But I remember getting to the United States one week before class started, and I panicked really badly because I part of my assistantship was teaching Grupiano. So imagine, I barely can speak the language. I just got here, everything is new, and I had to be in a classroom. I was so blessed that my students, they were all so warm and so helpful and they worked in my English. <laughs> you know, they helped me to improve and they taught me expressions. And on top of that, I also took a course that George State used to offer, I don't know if they still do, that it was called Teaching at the University for International Students. And that was very helpful because I understood about the culture a little more and how to be a, a function teacher classroom teacher in the United States. Wow, that's great. I'm sure the students, that first wave of students really enjoyed working with you and helping you and learning from you also. So what was your family's relationship with music like? They supported me, but that's as much as they got involved, let's say. Nobody played. Like I said, my sister started the guitar for one year and, and quit. Uh, it was too hard for her. She didn't want to practice. They thought that I was going to be just a hobby and I would probably finish conservatory and stop. 
But then I started getting involved in piano competitions because in Brazil, you don't have many options to perform. You either perform at the end of the year recital or in a competition. That Those were the options back then. So guess what? I started doing competitions, was very lucky that I got this prize in a Latin American competition, was the first prize award. And then my family started seeing, maybe he really wants to do a career out of this. And I kept telling them. And another event that happened, I was 17 years old and my teacher was going to Spain for a festival and she invited me to go over. And I did not have any money and I did not even have a passport. So I asked my mom, could you please sign for my passport? And she says, no, you're kidding. You're not going to go to Europe for music, you know, like for summers, no festival, no. So guess what? I waited the June 9th, my birthday, went to the <laughs> uh, passport uh, agency, got my passport, got home and said, hey, I'm going to Brazil. Then they were like, Oh, he's really serious. So those two events changed for them because then they started supporting me much more in the sense that they would like craft the, the, the family schedule around mine. I would practice many hours, of course, and they would be very helpful in the sense of like, okay, those practicing hours are sacred. We are not going to touch it, you know, leave him alone. So that's how it turned out. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love your story of them gradually coming to realize how serious you are about all of this. Now, you briefly mentioned in passing that there aren't that many performing options in Brazil, either just the end of the year recital or competition. And it just it prompted a thought in me. You know, I realized several years ago that this is a very similar situation in China where, you know, where I'm from, where you know, when we live in America, we think, oh, a lot of kids will play in nursing homes or in churches, and they have opportunities maybe even to play in a worship band. And, you know, they can play in the school orchestra. There's just so many opportunities. But perhaps in some of the other countries, there's not as many communal opportunities for kids to perform. Is that still the case in Brazil right now? I would say things are changing a little bit. I've been here for 14 years now, so it's hard for me to judge how much the change has been. I would say when I left 2008, it was still the case. And one thing, music was not seen as like a, if you're going to be a musician, you're not a serious person. There was this stigma about music, you know? So a lot of people going back to a previous question, they end up like going to other careers because of that. And that was one of the reasons why also I wanted to go abroad to study and further my degree and career because it was really hard. And I see from friends right now, it, it's still quite hard. I think that there is still this stigma that if you're a musician, you just have a good life, but what's your job, you know? Yeah. And, Hello, this is my job. This is my career. This is my life. Yeah, yeah. So the, the communal um, understanding of what we do is not quite there. Um, what advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? The parents are key, especially if they are younger, to help the kids to just be motivated and organized. 
the parent supports are so important and there's so much literature there. I usually encourage parents to read a little about and be present in the lessons, first of all, so they can make sure that the child is there and following through what was done in the lesson. We all know in the United States, there's so much distraction. Kids go to the soccer practice, they play video games. So that moment that the parent sits there, even for 15 minutes, half an hour with the, the child is crucial because that shows the child that you're not alone and I'm here for you. This is something that I want you to take serious. So I would say that support, that practicing time with the, the child is very important. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I appreciate that. Do you have any musical or pedagogical projects that you're currently working on? I have a few uh, coming up. I've been doing lots of solo and collaborative and pedagogical projects. This year, I just finished recording my first CD uh, with uh, works by the Brazilian composer Heitor Villalobos. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a very interesting combination of works and it's going to be launched this year. On top of that, I've been doing lots of forehand playing. I have a duo with two colleagues in here in Georgia, and each one we, we have a different goal. One we're playing just traditional repertoire, the other we're focusing specifically in Latin American music. On the collaborative side also, this November, I'm going to premiere. Uh, it will be the world premiere, and I'm very blessed for that. The work for Six Hands, by three Brazilian composers. They are very interesting works that use modern language, extended techniques and all of that. Yet they have this very strong Brazilian folklore flavor to them. So it'll be uh, in November. And as far as pedagogical projects, I, I did a lot of research in first year of studies and collaborative playing. And I have published some in Portuguese, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully I'll translate and do some in English. But I want to carry that research. And I'm going to be presenting in a few conferences the coming two, three years. Some of that research that I've done. Hmm. So you talked about playing, uh, was it forehand or two piano works that was Latin American music? We decided to focus in forehands because it's not much done. Nowadays, there's so much literature and access to them is so much easier. And I do have a passion for bringing to life lesser known works. So that's our focus, staying in the four hands. Two pianos, unfortunately, limits a couple of places we don't have two pianos on stage, unfortunately. Yeah. So where do you go to find this literature? Like what resources can you point us to if there are others who are listening, who are interested in finding these works? I would say, please send me an email. Uh, it would be much easier for me to guide. But a couple of them I actually found attending the MTNA conference. There were like a couple of presentations where they gave like a length list of works. Also at the keyboard conference, pedagogy conference, national conference, Francis Clark. They also have uh, now, this past year online, they had a track that was for Iberian and Latin American music. And there were wonderful presentations that uh, highlighted forehand repertoire. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. If you see here, this is my collection. This is all forehand. 
Wow. That's great. Thank you. And I, I find that finding access to those resources that can now point us to further resources is perhaps the key to uh, allowing people to start getting into that world. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for offering to have people email you. <laughs> now, tell me about some of the biggest teaching challenges you have faced and how you overcame them. I would like to share uh, music appreciation because that for me was, it touched me profoundly. I remember my first semester teaching the course, I had a student that did not show up to class at all, came first day and then disappeared. And I'm like, what happened? So I mailed the student and I don't hear it back. And at Georgia State, we have to do a role verification, which means we have a deadline for that. And if the student disappeared, you just mark the student as uh, stopped attending. So I'm about to mark the student stopping attending and suddenly he showed up for that very day, which was the final day to do the role verification, to my surprise. And it's a very sad story because I talked to him afterwards and I'm like, what happened? And he told me that he did not know he needed to come to classes because in his high school years, he would just come whenever he had an exam. Sometimes he would even skip and his two would pass. I thought that was so sad. And we had a conversation about what is to be a university student, how to be successful, and things he could do to change that mentality. Luckily, he really wanted, and he did. So he ended up passing the course and tried to finish his degree. And now he's even starting his master's studies, which I was very proud of as a student. Mm. So I have another story of applied piano now. And this was my 77 years old student that uh, he just transferred to me back in South Carolina. And he had been playing the piano for entire, his entire life, even longer than I was. However, the first lesson when he brought me something, I found amusing how he would miss every single measure one note a fingering and a rhythm. So it was very interesting because he was a challenge for me because when I would ask, so how did you do? He would say, wonderful, I played wonderfully. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to record to see if I can get him to listen a little more objectively. And back then our phones didn't have that capability. So I, I bought recording devices brought it to the lesson and started recording. Every time he would still say, I played wonderfully. So how much did you miss? Only three notes, Vicente, three notes only. I was like, well, let's take a listen. And I started marking. I thought that uh, was a big moment for me because I, I always heard about the benefits of recording. And I, back then I didn't experience that, you know? I didn't even have a recording. So after that, he started recording every lesson and he's practicing as well. And his playing completely changed. By the end, he was playing at least correct text, which I was very proud of him. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love recording students. I And now, of course, we have the advantage of video recording, really showing them, oh, this is what you look like. So yes, a great reminder of the power of recording. Thank you for that. Do you have any books about music or teaching that you can recommend? 
Yes, I actually am a big book lover, but pedagogy related, I would have to name three. One would be not enough. And I'd say the very first one would be Heinrich Newhouse or New Gauss, The Art of Piano Playing. I think that book is so transformative as a teacher and as a pianist that I've, everybody should have it uh, handy. And it's a book that I, I always go back, no matter uh, which stage of my life and, and my teaching I am. Also, I love uh, Professor Boris Berman, Notes from the Pianist Bench. He is just amazing how he discusses technique, sound, and ties all together. And my last, I would say, Seymour Bernstein, or Bernstein, uh, with your own two hands. That book for me was so powerful because he's so to the point and he gives great advice. And he talks also about the the, the role of the, the parents. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. I think those three would be my uh, three uh, suggestions. Yeah, those books are fantastic. And I agree. I would recommend anyone to have it in their library to reference over and over again. Now, what aspects of your life and career as a musician has surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? I would say I'm very fortunate and very blessed that the life I envisioned was always to be a university professor and to do both, to play and to teach. And I have been doing that for a while now, and I'm very, very, very blessed. So in that sense, I think I always had that very clear vision when I was in my high school years, mostly, I think, probably I made that decision and that I had that strong vision when I was more in my undergrad studies. But I never uh, looked back and I never changed that vision. So I'd say it hasn't changed. Did you say also favorite memory? I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Share your favorite memory with us. We would love to hear that. <laughs> I would say that's a big competition that I won because I didn't trust my playing back then and I was very secure. Mm-hmm. And my teacher kept saying, you're well prepared. Just play from your heart. She kept saying that, but I was very nervous, to be honest. And I remember that day I was able to access all that training, you know, and just play my heart out. I was not competing, basically, even though I was in a competition, I was just playing. I, I, I did my best. And I was very proud that it was, I was rewarded. I was awarded the first prize, but it was not about the prize. It was about me being able to just comfortably deliver the message I wanted without the pieces I was playing. Mm-hmm. So I, I do. I would say that that was one of the biggest moments for me. Yeah, I think we all need those moments of boosts of confidence, um, either in our young life or even now in our professional career. Just that pat on the back, like you're doing the right thing, you're moving in the right direction is so important. And we as teachers, of course, can be those moments of encouragement to our students. So Yes. Now, do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and enter professional life? It's a very good question. And I would love to expand, but to summarize, I would say three things. I would say the first, be open for possibilities. We never know when possibilities are knocking our door. And I'd say never say no. I was quite scared when I got an email from Kathy 
to be the VP for auditions, but you know, I was like, you know what? I'll try. Yes, I, I want to do it. And that's what I mean. Be open for possibilities and always uh, try your best. Uh, second, I'd say keep a, always a curious mind. I do think uh, as teachers, we have to be researching. We have to be learning new music. We have to be uh, always curious and uh, never happy with what we have. So we keep uh, developing ourselves as a musician, as teachers as well. So keeping that a curious mind, I would say it would be second. And third, always perform. I do believe and I uh, love how the three pedagogues, the three books I, I mentioned, they all say the teacher must play. And like we discussed earlier today, there are so many possibilities in America. Uh, we, we don't need to, if you can't do a full recital, play one piece. If you can't play in a concert hall, play at your house, but always perform because we, we keep closer to the students' problems and uh, we keep fresh as well, you know? Yeah, I, I will piggyback on that very first point that you said about saying yes and staying open to possibilities. I literally just had this conversation with a young person yesterday, but she was not a musician. She was a biology uh, student and she was interviewing for a job and it was um, working in a lab for a manufacturer. And she said, oh, I don't know if I'm interested. I never envisioned myself in manufacturing, uh, you know, laboratory setting. And I said, you need to keep an open mind. You need to say yes to everything because you've not done this. How do you know that you won't fall in love with this? You have to at least try it. So she was like, oh, okay. So I love that because it, it really applies to everyone, not just musicians. But yes, definitely true for musicians as well. Now, this is our very last question and it's very similar to the previous, but just a slightly different spin. What advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about a life with music? Make sure you love it and you have the passion for it and be sure that you can't live without it because it can become a very thorny road otherwise. And yeah, it's going to be a bumpy road, but your love is what is going to help you to overcome those obstacles that you we all face, right? And this also applies to any career, I would say. And be yourself. Do your best and always aim to be your best. Do your best and be your best. And I would say also, if you are being yourself and doing those things to be your best and do your best, things will happen. You'll find your own voice in this industry. Music field is so broad. There's always uh, a possibility. There's always uh, one way or another that you'll find your voice. And go to concerts. Broaden your listening skills. Don't just stay in the piano. You should be attending an opera. You should attend an orchestra concert. And I would say last, live life. I think we it's very easy for us pianists to uh, just stay hours and hours in the practice room and forget that uh, music is communication, it's a message. And we only become better in developing that message by living life. Mm -hmm. Go play soccer, go enjoy nature. I think those experiences will uh, enrich you as a musician. And I think those would be my suggestions. 
That's great. Well, Vicente, this has been a really wonderful conversation. And I love your suggestions because it really it brings a really holistic view and understanding of our relationship with our students, really nurturing the whole person. And I get that sense from you that it, you're you're um, all about nurturing the whole student. And I love that you talked about working with the beginning students, but also working with a 77 year old. So that's wonderful. Thank you in advance for the service and the many, many hours that you will put in for our organization as VP of auditions. That is not an easy task, a really important task, uh, because a lot of people, to be honest, join GMTA just for the opportunity of entering their students into auditions. So what you do is so critical to the health and success of our organization. So thank you. Thank you for saying yes to that task. Uh, we appreciate you in advance. And now I must bid you goodbye. This has been a really wonderful conversation and I wish you happy teaching and happy students.